Welcome to iCommunicate on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay. Hi, everybody. How are you doing? Hope you're having a great day, and uh, welcome to another edition of I Communicate. I'm your host, Mark Altman, founder and president of Mindset Go, where we help people become more confident, assertive, and effective communicators. And uh, the name of our show today is uh, I Wasn't Aware of That. And we're going to be talking about self-awareness, but we're going to be taking a little bit of a different spin on it today. And I want to share a story of uh, a training I was doing in the last week or so. And one of the things that I do after I do a virtual or in-person training is if it's a virtual training, I I often record them and and watch some or all of them, all of the training after to, to just look at myself and see how effective I was or see if there's anything I need to do differently. And one of the patterns I've noticed when I watch Uh, video back of the work I'm doing is I frequently use the expression when I refer to people in training, you guys. And I've never liked it. I've never liked it. It just feels, for lots of reasons, it feels too casual at times, depending on how well I know the audience. Uh, It just feels kind of slang, like I'm not addressing people in a professional manner. And Recently, I've also realized why I don't like it is it doesn't feel very inclusive. So I say this, you guys, and I was doing a training for a client uh, last week, and this particular client I've worked with for the last several months, so I know the people in the training very well. It's a cohort-based training. And uh, so about 10 minutes into the training, I said, I referred to the group as you guys, and I stopped the training, and I said, you know, I believe it's really important for me to drink my own Kool-Aid. And I I help people for a living learn how to build the core competencies of leadership and emotional intelligence and be better communicators. And I don't find myself to be an emotionally intelligent communicator when I say you guys. So I'm vulnerable. I I let everybody in the room know that that's not who I want to be. And I apologize for saying it. And, uh, you know, just wanted to be accountable for my behavior and say I wanted to be more inclusive. So one of the, per, one of the uh, male participants in the training raised their hand and said, I don't see what the big deal is. I don't see what the problem with you guys is. And so my daughter has taught me well. I looked, at, I looked at the guy in the training and I said, you know, let me put it in simple terms for you. If I, for the rest of the training, referred to everybody in the training as you gals, would you be okay with that? And he said, no, I don't think I would. And I said, do I need to say anything else? Doesn't that kind of answer the question? And everybody kind of laughed and we went on. The moral of the story, though, is self-awareness. You know, to have self-awareness, you actually have to care, right? You know, we, we, ter- we throw around this term in leadership called, a uh, phrase called blind spots. And often I'm working with leaders at different levels of an organization to help them overcome their blind spots, whether it's in a coaching capacity or a consulting or training capacity, it's how to overcome the blind spots. Well, the first step to overcoming a blind spot is not even knowing you have one. It's caring enough to find out. And what's tricky about this is one of the ways 
you become self-aware of something is you apply a technique in any aspect of your life, personal or professionally. So, you know, my company is called Mindset Go. Well, that was intentional. I named my company Mindset Go because I believe that your mindset is a huge predictor of personal and professional success and happiness. So if I'm teaching someone to be more assertive in the workplace, for example, I don't teach them how to be more assertive in the workplace. I teach them how to be more assertive in every relationship in their life. And if you're, if you're utilizing communication techniques to be more influential, to be more assertive, to know how to more effectively motivate, if you pick and choose when you use them, then it's harder to build the habit and sustain the habit. Look, at the end of the day, self-awareness is what makes you happy. What makes you happy in the workplace, the kind of company you work for, the kind of position you have, the kind of work you do, the kind of people you work with, and what about in your personal life? What makes you happy in your relationship partner, your hobbies, how you spend your time, what you watch on TV, what books you read? These are all elements of self-awareness. And look, if I went up to 100 people on the street and I said, tell me what your favorite thing about your job is, they'd all probably have an answer pretty quickly. Probably. But I don't know that that would be the actual answer because there wouldn't be a lot of self-reflection that went behind that answer. And we live in a society where people default to what isn't good, what isn't working what there is to be negative about and unhappy about and frustrated about. And to be self-aware, a lot of being self-aware requires some self-reflection. And before I go any further, I just want to put this in very simple terms for people. There are actually two types of self-awareness, and you may not know this, but there are two types of self-awareness. One of them is which was what I've been talking about right now, which is called internal self-awareness. What does that mean? It means how clearly do we see our values, our passions, our aspirations? How clearly do we see our fit amongst people, social skills? How clearly do we see our reactions? How do we think? How do we feel? How do we behave? What are our strengths and weaknesses? And here's, here's one of the biggest ones of all. How do we gauge our impact on others and the way we motivate, influence, engage others? So that's all internal self-awareness. And by the way, here's the thing about internal self-awareness. You know, you may know your values, but do you, do you practice them? Do you model them? Do you recognize people in your life that demonstrate them? You may know your passions, but you may not be self-aware of why you're not able to do something to enjoy your passions or aspirations for that matter. So that's one kind of internal self-awareness. The other kind is called external self-awareness. And external self-awareness is all about do you know what people think of you? Do you know how people view your values, your passions, your aspirations, your reactions, how well you impact others. Same things. It's the same list, but the difference is internal is how you see yourself. External 
is how others see you. And I have to tell you, the gap that I encounter with many people in leadership and sales is enormous between their internal awareness and their external awareness. And the reason why I named the show today, I wasn't aware of that, is because I want you to think for a second, reflect for a minute. How many times in your life has someone said something to you that gave you clarity on something or created an awareness for you and you said to yourself, geez, I wasn't even aware of that. Or I wasn't even aware they thought that way. Or I I didn't even know they were mad at me. I didn't know they didn't like me. So this is what I'm talking about. Understanding your abilities and strengths relative to how other people see those things is an entirely different thing. And that's why if I was to call up a company and say, hey, we should do some self-awareness training, company's going to be like, I don't think we need help with self-awareness. Because unless the company understood that becoming more self-aware, how that would make the company more money, how that would increase employee engagement, how that would increase your culture, improve your culture, and improve employee retention and things like that, you're not going to do the self-awareness training. So to me, everything starts with self-awareness. And that's why when I do trainings for company on leadership, communication, sales, I always start with a module around self-awareness and some activities around that. So we're going to continue our discussion. I'm going to share an insight quiz I took this week. When we come back after our first break, for I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. We're talking about self-awareness. In our first segment, we covered the difference between internal and external self-awareness. And there's actually four different kinds of people related to self-awareness. We'll call them personas. And as you as you listen to me share these personas... Identify which one you believe you are. And what's ironic about this exercise is, again, how you see yourself may be different than others see you. So it's really a two-part question, right? Which of these personas do you think fits you? And do you believe that the people who know you best would actually agree that that persona fits you? That's a different question. So the one of the one Again, we're taking internal and external as a combination of the two types of self-awareness. So the first one is an introspector. And an introspector, as you may expect, is someone who's great with internal self-awareness. You know, they're very clear on who they are. Uh, And they don't technically or they don't uh, typically challenge their own views, or search for blind spots by getting feedback from others. So an introspector is good with self-reflection, looks inside to see where what they need to be different or how they are, but they don't, they don't get validation. They don't seek feedback. They don't want to really get people to share to see if they're on the right track. 
And, you know, I go back, I've said this on the show a few times over the last couple years, it reminds me of the line from A Few Good Men with Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise, the line of, you can't handle the truth. And so if you're an introspector, maybe you don't seek that validation or feedback to understand how people truly perceive you because you're scared of what you might find out and you don't want the truth. And, or, you may not seek that validation because if you do find out something that's new or different, it may mean you need to be different or change. And let's face it, people aren't lining up because they're excited to be different or change. So those are two big obstacles. Those are two big uh, demotivating factors if you're an introspector. And, and we see a lot of personality uh, surveys and assessments. You know, we see uh, Myers-Briggs and Predictive Index and DISC, and they go on and on. And one of my arguments, and I've said this on the show before too, is when you understand someone's strengths and weaknesses as a person, um, it's one thing to know what they are. It's one thing to understand where they need to get better and improve. It's another thing altogether to figure out how to help them get better and improve. Right? That's, that's where you really earn your money is helping people develop beyond their blind spots and to beyond their limitations and developmental core competency areas. So the second one, we have an introspector. The second one is a seeker. And as you may expect, this is the opposite of an introspector. The seeker has no clue who they are. They don't do any self-reflection or introspection. They don't know what they stand for. They don't know who they are. They haven't taken the time to really understand their core values, their passions, what would make them happy. So what do they do instead? Nothing, because if you're a seeker, the bad news is you're also bad externally, right? So not only do you not know who you are, you don't know how your teams and your peers see you. So you choose to be unaware internally, unaware externally. And I know seeker might imply the opposite, because if it's a seeker, you would think someone would be high in external. But they're not. They're low internal, they're low external, and they don't really have the motivation, aptitude, or desire to understand how they see themselves or how others see them. Now, the third one is a pleaser. And I bet there's a lot of people listening to that going, oh yeah, I know pleasers. Now, pleasers are low internal and high external. Because a seeker was low internal and low external, where a pleaser is low internal, high external. So, as you may expect, someone who's a pleaser doesn't prioritize self-awareness internally because what they value for passion, aspirations, motivations, core values, it becomes very secondary Because they're spending so much time attending to what other people think of them and pleasing other people. Sounds like me. Hmm. You know what, Jasmine? I tell you what. I believe that it's like like, uh, introverted and extroverted. Remember we talked about that? The ambivert means a little bit of both. I think there's a part of that in all of us. Oh, definitely. I mean, there's, and, and, and you know what? We all have different relationships with people. 
And I bet if you're if you're listening to this show and you're telling me you have no pleasing tendencies in no relationships in your life, I don't believe you. Like, I just don't believe you. And, you know, Jasmine says, sounds like me. And so that's the challenge. So Jasmine is, we're going to use Jasmine as a case study, for example. So Jasmine has the self-awareness to know she can be a pleaser at times. But what Jasmine oh, may... not at times, most, most of the of time. Most of the time, okay. So what Jasmine may not have figured out yet is, does she know the consequences of pleasing? And I, again, I said this at the top of the show. I don't mean the peripheral consequences. I mean the actual consequences if she doesn't change that part of who she is where she defaults and tends to being a pleaser. We're still on. Okay. If, you know, we're, we're getting, we're, you know, I paused because we're getting these uh, surges, electrical surges here. So in any event, so if she doesn't know what the consequences of the behavior are, what the benefits to changing and how it impacts her, then that's why a lot of people say, well, I'm just a people pleaser. And see, that's the tricky thing about self-awareness. You know, as I go through these personas, I explain about internal and external self-awareness. It's one thing to know who you are. It's another thing to know how it hurts you. And are you motivated to do it differently, at least in certain situations? So that's the third persona. And then the fourth one is what we're all technically striving for. It's someone who's aware. High, high internal, high external. They know who they are, what they want to accomplish, and seek out and value others' opinions. And I got to tell you, this persona is who I strive to be every day of my life. Now, that doesn't mean I'm successful all the time. But that's what I'm striving for. And what's really funny about the pleasers and the aware is there's, there's a happy medium, right, around getting feedback from others. You know, my, my experience with my youngest son is I've always encouraged him to get feedback on others. But there's a fine line between being a pleaser and being aware. If he relies on the feedback to build his confidence and self-esteem, and that is his sole source, then that's not what we're shooting for. So the, the happy medium between knowing how to use feedback, balancing feedback with internal self-awareness, that's what it's all about. And if it's you the go game ahead, of go, self-care. Say that again? It's the game of self-care. It's how much can I you know, give out to everybody else and make sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to to make those around me happy and comfortable. But then how can I also preserve my own happiness and well-being? Yeah. And, and, and actually, Jasmine, the answer to that is something that, I mean, so, so few people have. And that is a template to know how to do that. And when I say the word template, when you're trying to gauge someone you know or your own confidence level, People say, well, confidence and self-esteem, of course, I know that's important. But see, you can't go from a pleaser to aware if you don't have a template for confidence and self-esteem and know what makes you happy. In other words, if you haven't developed your internal self-awareness, you will solely rely on external self-awareness. 
And that's when we talk about buzzwords like confidence and self-esteem and advocating for yourself and things like that. That's why they're so important because if you don't find that template, if you don't know and you don't have something to compare it to, then you know what happens? You take the external feedback as gospel. And guess what happens then? If you take the external feedback as gospel, think about kids. Forget adults. Think about kids. If you're walking around school and you don't know why people like you, you don't know why people would want to be friends with you or include you in things, then you're going to default to what people tell you. So think about this. And and listen, anybody who's listening to the show thinks this is an extreme example. I disagree. If you want... If you, this is what peer pressure is. You want to do drugs, you want to drink, you want to smoke, you want to hang out with the wrong crowd. Well, guess what? If you don't know your template for what your worth and your value and your confidence, then you're going to be tempted to do things like that because that's how you're going to convince yourself you're accepted, liked, and fit in. Well, and also you'll get lost in it. And you'll get lost in it. So this is the danger is that if you don't know you don't have that internal self-awareness quality. If you don't have that and you rely on externally and have that pleaser tendency, it could take you down a lot of bad paths. And the predominantly bad path is self-esteem and confidence. So when we come back for our next segment, I promise I'll get to the insight quiz I took this week. But I wanted to talk a little bit about those self-awareness personas and to understand the meanings and consequences and benefits related to them. So, for I Communicate, this is Mark Altman. We'll be back after the break. continues on full service radio 830 wcrn once again here's your host mark altman okay welcome back to i communicate we're talking about self-awareness we're talking about the difference between internal and external self-awareness and we're also talking about the persona that perhaps you may be when it comes to self-awareness and so i promised i'd talk about this insight quiz and i have to share a very quick anecdote from my daughter yesterday she was telling me about a, uh, she was just traveling and she was in someone's house and, and uh, the person had a young girl, I think she was five or six years old, had a dog and she was playing with the dog with the girl and um, just goofing around. And so my daughter says to the girl, want to know, know about a secret about making dogs happy? And if I gave you a thousand guesses to what that girl's response was, you wouldn't be able to get it. 
she literally, keep in mind, this girl's five years old. She looked at my daughter and says, oh, we don't have secrets in this house. And she's telling me the story, and I thought to myself, that is unbelievable. You know, the first question on the insight quiz was, I have clearly defined values that outline what's most important to me. Do you think the parents in that household are teaching their kids about values? I mean, I'm guessing they might be for a five-year-old to say, we don't keep secrets in this household. And so when my daughter was telling me the story, I looked at, I looked at my, my youngest son and I said, you know, that's a perfect example that when you're making a decision with friends or deciding whether or whether or not to do something, I'm hoping your default reaction like it was for that five-year-old girl says, no, integrity is too important to me. I don't do things like that. And that's what we, you know, I got to tell you, I get really sick and tired of, I've brought this up on the show before, how people throw around core values. And I'm just, the point I'm trying to make here is when you're, when you have internal self-awareness and you understand what your core values are, don't look at me and tell me, well, I know what my core values are. They're honesty, their integrity, their trust. What a snooze. Yeah, I know that. I know that most people are going to say their core values are around respect, honesty, trust, integrity. Big words like this. Big fluffy words like that. That's, that's not what, to me, if you know your core values, what I want to know is not just that you know them, but you're living them. Can you show me, can you tell me examples of how you practice those core values on a regular basis? And many people can, by the way. I'm not selling people short. There's many, many company, companies that can that talk about guiding principles and core values and do live it. There's a company I'm working with right now that in their week, every other week meetings in a month, they have someone read one of the core values and guiding principles, how it relates to them, how they've modeled that behavior in the previous two weeks, how they've recognized that behavior from another employee. Now, that's a company that actually is drinking their Kool-Aid and practicing what they preach. But, you know, when I read this question, I have clearly defined values that outline what's important to me. It is important to be self-aware of what your values are. It's also important to know that you're actually living them and practicing them and modeling them. And I have to tell you, one of the awarenesses I had while I was taking this quiz, because I have created a lot of assessments for my clients, but one of the reasons or one of the awarenesses I had about this quiz is it's not just, and, and let me give you some context for what I'm about to say. Each of the questions on this quiz, you had to answer either very untrue of me, untrue of me, somewhat untrue of me, Somewhat true of me, true of me, very true of me. So it's a typical scale we take with these assessments. But see, to me, the question that I would have added after every question on this quiz about self-awareness is, do you have control over this? Because a lot of people will answer certain things on an assessment or a quiz, but if they don't think they have control, it's a moot point. And I'm going to give you a perfect example. How about this one, Jasmine? I can describe my ideal work environment. Well, can you describe your ideal work environment, Jasmine? 
I don't think there is one. Really? <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things where as much as you can love your job and you can be fantastic at your job and you can be competent and you can have all the skills, there's always going to be one person that rubs you the wrong way or there's always going to be some sort of situation where you're going to have to scramble for a second and figure out what you're going to do. And we all have to adjust to those situations. Yes, you can have an ideal-ish situation where you like all your coworkers and everything works smoothly, but at the end of the day, there's no such thing as like a full, real, ideal situation. Wow, that's a really interesting way. So I wasn't expecting that. So I appreciate what you're saying. I can see where you're going with that. I guess I look at it a little differently. I, When I think of an ideal work environment, I don't think if you can articulate the characteristics of an ideal work environment, it doesn't mean they exist 100% of the time. But like, for instance, for me, I would say things like um, there's a lot of collaboration because I like working with other people. I would say something like um, there's an autonomous or independent culture, you know, where there may not be micromanagement or things like that. I would say there's a frequent opportunities for feedback. So when I think of ideal work environment, I think of things like that. But as Jasmine said, it doesn't mean they happen all the time. However, it's interesting that Jasmine answered the way she did because this is the point I'm trying to make. If you have Jasmine's mindset on that, then why would you take the time to even articulate what your ideal work environment would be if you don't have a confidence, a lot of confidence and faith it could even happen? And so that's a big part of self-awareness. It's one thing to be aware of your ideal work environment. It's another thing to be aware of your attitude and mindset about the possibility of your idea and not just the possibility of your ideal work environment, your ability to impact change in that environment. And be happy in the environment. And be happy in the environment. So these, these questions where you're answering very true, somewhat true, untrue, it's just really half the, it's half the battle. You know, you have to understand what you can and can't control. You have to understand um, not just what you can and can't control, but you have to understand your ability to change what you feel you can't control, right? And your ability to believe uh, that the ideal can even happen. So these are all part of that question. Now, another question on this insight quiz that was interesting to me, similar, was I know what activities give me the most joy. Now, I think about what activities give me the most joy, and I'm going to give our listeners a perfect example. When I grew up, I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. I'm a sports nut. I have a sports podcast right now. Um, I love sports so much, talking about it being a color commentator, announcer, whatever. You know what, if I had an endless amount of money, I'd probably done it for free. I mean, that's how much I loved it. So that is, I do know what activities give me the most joy. But, and I'm intentionally choosing the word but, do I feel like I could actually participate in those activities while still earning a living and supporting my family? Do I feel like I have an adequate amount of time in the day to explore my passions in the activities that give me most joy. And when you get to the workplace, 
This is beautiful in the workplace. Whenever I talk to leaders at various levels of an organization, I'll ask the question, let's pretend, and I think, and I love this question, I'm a little biased, but let's pretend your boss comes up to you tomorrow and says, we're going to let you reshape your daily schedule. You can now do the, the things as a leader that create the most fulfillment and engagement and enjoyment for you. You can do that any day, as often as you want, because I'm trying to get people to see if they can even articulate why they got into this business in the first place, why they like being a leader. And one of the typical answers I get is, well, I like, I like helping people. I like coaching people and developing and motivating people and so on and so forth. And then I'll ask them, I'll say, what percentage of your weekly time in hours allows you to do that? And then, of course, well, I'm in six hours of meetings a day and you know, I've got all kinds of paperwork and reporting to do, and I have projects to work on. And so there we have what I refer to as a resignation mindset. So again, you may be aware of what it is that gives you the most joy, but if you don't believe you have control over making that happen, it doesn't matter. Now, I want to just say really quickly that this insight quiz was great. Like, I still think it's incredibly valuable. But as I said earlier in the show, it's just like Myers-Briggs or PI and DISC. You're collecting data. Now what are we going to do with the data we've collected? It's part one of a multi-part process. So when we come back for our final segment, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the insight quiz, and we're going to get into some other key elements of self-awareness. I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Now, I communicate continues on full service radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate, and we're talking about self-awareness and the beauties of internal and external self-awareness. And really, in our last segment, we talked about um, finding out certain information and how it can benefit you becoming more self-aware. And, you know, I want to share an anecdote. There's a uh, HR director I'm working with right now who we've really hit it off and uh, really bright guy, and we talk about, we have very similar views on com- communication and emotional intelligence. And he shared something with me the other day that I'm still thinking about. And it was in the context of the conversation. Um, he was sharing with me that he's about to celebrate his 15th year wedding anniversary with his wife. And he said it with pride. And so the first thing, by the way, when he said it with pride that struck me is if I had a nickel for every married couple that I that's been married for 15 years or more, and when I and I asked them, or congratulate them on their wedding anniversary or whatever, and their response was, I don't know how we did it. You know, boy, it's been a real battle. It's a lot of work. Like, I feel like if I asked that question to couples that were married 15 years or more, that would be the default answer like 75% of the time. Which really, which really saddens me because. Look, I'm divorced twice, full transparency. I wasn't great at marriage. 
I've done a lot of work. Speaking of self-reflection and introspection, I've done a lot of work on myself to be a better life partner. And I am determined to never get to that point with my partner because I don't ever want to feel resigned to being with someone. And by the way, that doesn't mean my expectations are it's going to be perfect, rosy, every minute of every day. It just means the culture of our relationship, I want to be much more positive. So look, the moral to this example, the story I'm telling you, is so this guy tells me he's been married for 15 years. And I ask him, I said, Mike, what, what's been the biggest key to your success? And he says, Mark, it's two things, pretty simply. And by the way, you're going to laugh after he used the word simply when you hear what he did, because there's nothing simple about this. And you know why there's nothing simple about this? Because to pull this off, there's that word that everybody's fearful of, commitment. You have to have a commitment. So this is what he said. He said, prior to getting married, they spent about a month, several conversations over the course of a month, defining the culture of their relationship and defining their core values of their relationship. And what I specifically mean without those buzzwords is how are they going to communicate with one another? What are their needs? What are their wants? What are their preferences? Love languages. What are their triggers? What are the things that frustrate them about one another? And so they did this entire process where they built this culture and core values and communication approach that is what they use to build their wedding vows. And he said, Mark, not only did we do it, we talk about our culture and our core values routinely. And he also said that a few times a month, they will pick out a book or a blog or some kind of article around communication and they talk about it, not just talk about their perspectives on it, but they talk about how it has affected their life presently in the past, how it could affect them in the future. Now, many of you may be listening to this and going, yeah, all right, well, I mean, seems like a lot of work. And, you know, I don't know how many people really do that. And, and I don't know, you know what, it's so funny. Like we talked in our last segment about your, your insight quiz in believing that you have control over doing anything different. So when you hear that story and you're a man, you may be thinking, oh, my wife's never going to go for that. And if you're a woman, you may be thinking, my husband's never going to go for that. So you already may have a resignation mindset. Before you've even processed this idea, you've already made an assumption and a conclusion that you could never build that kind of culture in your relationship. Or if you could, it would be a lot of work and an uphill battle. But the point of the story is that when we talk about internal and external self-awareness, you know that expression, can't we all just get along, right? So can't we all just get along is where self-awareness can play a huge role in relationships. I was reflecting on my girlfriend right now, and I was thinking about we very rarely argue or get in disagreements, but I was reflecting on the disagreements we have had since we've been together, and it occurred to me, it occurred to me that if I had done this culture and core values, if we had had some proactive conversations, not only would it have eliminated, well, it would have eliminated the majority of the disagreements because we would have proactively shared some things beforehand. Okay, we have a caller. Uh, welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. It's Matt. Matt, How are you doing today? Matt, I'm doing great. How are you? Fantastic. All right, so you just said something that, could, that perked my ears up, and i got to ask. Did you read the book Love Languages, or have you read that series? 
Matt, not only have I read it, I am in a huge champion of it, and I'm trying to bring it to corporate America around motivation and recognition of people because I think it's applicable across the board. It's funny. So I got I was gifted a copy of Five Love Languages when I recently moved by a good friend of mine, and I'm about ninety percent through it. And boy, that is a game changer. It is. It is. It's fantastic. I am not a huge. Uh, not a, I shouldn't say not a believer, but you know the, the self help books and things like that. I, you know, I'll I'll pick a little bit out of it, but most of it I just I find pretty redundant. This that series I find I find fascinating, and it's just as as I'm I'm glad to hear that you did it because I I think it's phenomenal. Well, Matt, I I just have to say a couple of things to our listeners about what you said. First of all, full disclosure, Matt and I are good friends. We've known each other since high school. And because he's making this call today, the next time our friend group gets together, I'm going to blackmail him and tell him, tell our friend group that Matt talks about love languages. So I'm just I'm going to deny that 100%. I'm just throwing that out there. Okay, no, all kidding aside, though, Matt, um, I we got to talk about this offline at some point. I mean, I, I think the funny thing about love languages to me, and this is how I always introduce it when I train and coach, is it absolutely uh, is the counter philosophy to what we're raised with of do unto others as you'd have done to you. Absolutely. Which is Absolutely. so crazy. Right? Yes. And it's, yeah, and it, it, it's just what 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 gets me is it, it's just so practical on a base level. You're not we're not reinventing the wheel, but we're just finding out what the wheel is almost. Matt, that that was articulated so perfectly. I mean, and here's the thing about love languages. It's one of those words, I talk about word choice a lot. So if you get a bunch of men in their 40s, 50s, and 60s in a room and say, hey, what are your love languages? They're going to roll their eyes at you, the majority of them. What the hell are you talking about? And, and so, see, for me, it is such an applicable concept, but the name love languages um, alienates some people because of the name. But I will say, I will say that it makes so much sense when it comes to appreciating your 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 life partner, your people that work for you, and and yeah. listen, Matt. Here here's the other piece to this, right? When I teach this, I don't propose um, a director of sales goes up to a salesperson and goes, "Hey, I was wondering what your love languages were." Like like that's not that the way that that might be viewed as inappropriate, right? So good 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 call. So the thing about love languages is you don't have to take it so literally. If you're talking to your husband or wife. Yeah, you can maybe use the term. Yeah. If you're talking to people in the workplace, what you're really asking them is, how can I best motivate, recognize, and appreciate you? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, how can I speak your language? What I, and you don't, it doesn't have to be love. It's just a, a language of respect, just a, just a deep community. How, you know, how do I understand you? What, you know, what gets to you? What drives you? Absolutely. Yeah. And I actually, one more thing no, real quick, and then go I'll let you go. I yeah. know you're up, up against the clock. You said something at the very beginning of the show that kind of, that reminded me of my, my older days. So when you said, hey, guys, yep. at the meeting, and then realized that I am so guilty of that. I, I used to be very, very guilty of that. And, I, and I've and i learned, you know, it, it's still a work in progress, but I, I'm probably the biggest villain of that you know you know i work in the service industry so i go up to people every day uh tables and that used to be my go-to hey guys hey guys and then after a couple times and especially uh you know the way society is you know i got caught a few times you know saying that to to women or or to people who maybe weren't 
quite sure which direction they were going sort of thing. And it, it bit me in the butt. And it was something I, I had to I had to learn the hard way. Um, but it, it is. It's it's I, I'm weaning myself off of that as well. And it's funny when you said that I thought about all, all the times I put my foot in my mouth doing that. Well, and, and so, t- so two thoughts, Matt. Thanks again, as always, for the call. Uh, two thoughts. One is, you know, Matt said something that I want to wrap up the show with a couple of final thoughts today. You know, Matt said, how do I understand you? How can I speak your language? And so that's what love languages are. It shifts the onus of being about you to being about the other person, which is ultimately what leadership is about. I mean, you're supposed to coach and develop and inspire and motivate people. It should be about them and not about you. So I love how Matt put that. And then the thing I want to end with is where we started today about the hey guys inclusivity thing. Look, I'm growing tired of people who feel like being inclusive is the PC police and all this stuff. Look, at the end of the day, if I say, hey, guys, I'm still developing the habit. I don't crumple in guilt. Like, I'm not like, oh, my God, I'm a horrible person because I said, hey, guys. There are things about inclusivity that we should strive to do because it makes people feel better. It makes people feel included. It's not about guilt. It's about effort. And so if you have someone in your life or you have people that you can say things differently to make them feel better, included, um, empowered, I don't think that's such a bad thing. And, and I, think, I think to Matt's point, um, he, he has, this whole show today was about self-awareness. So Matt has become self-aware as soon as I said it. He recognized and said, hey, I do that too, and I don't want to continue to do that. So look, bottom line for the show today This is the takeaway. What is the persona you are when it comes to self-awareness? Do you want to stay that way? What are the consequences? What would motivate you to do anything different? Do you have the adequate skills of internal and external self-awareness? Do you have the insight to be happy and successful and effective? If you don't, call Mindset Go, 978-793-1159. You can email us for some training or coaching around emotional intelligence. 978-793-1159 or info at mindsetgo.com. Jasmine, thanks again for a great show, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to I Communicate with your host, Mark Altman. Join us again each week at this time on Full Service Radio, WCRN.